2: done.
1: We're going to bring y'all into our huddle.
3: You are in the Warriors huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual. My producer, Marcus.
4: What's up, Dub Nation?
3: And our master of all things sound, Maxime. How's it going? Boys, how are you guys doing? It's been uh, an interesting start to the season We are on the other side of a fairly nasty Steph Curry injury. We're going to be jumping right into it. Give me an update. Mental state, where are you guys at?
4: I'm pumped. Um, I know we're supposed to be losing, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but uh, just watching the last game and the way we took it to Portland and the scrappiness, I know there's been a lot of talk about how scrappy we are, but um, just watching that game, it was the first time in a long time that I was – that pumped and cheering for the team. I mean, being underdogs is something we haven't felt in a long time. And watching that, especially when Kai Bowman got into it with Whiteside, like that just got me fired up. And I was like, oh, I forgot this feeling as a Warriors fan. And it was it was refreshing.
3: We're underdogs. We're joyful underdogs. We're no longer the Terminator, right? We're no longer expected to destroy everybody and then not show any joy in the process. We are literally now there's reasons to be joyful as we're watching the game.
0: For sure. For sure. I
3: attaboy. That all makes sense to me. Yeah, attaboy. <laughs> Embrace just... the negativity too, Maxime. <laughs> uh,
0: it's hard. It is hard. I mean, I get you, like watching that Portland game was sweet and it felt really good, especially because I am adjusting. It's also still not totally the case on the national scale that everybody is fully aware of just how much we suck. Of course. Um, and so there's still this sort of lingering, like, the Warriors are like the villains of the NBA. And so you get that on top of actually no, we're the worst team in the league. Um, it's a hard thing to deal with. And then watching my team lose on a, well, now almost nightly basis. It's Dude, tough.
3: Lingering problems. Think about what the hell we are saying. We are not a full season removed from the fifth straight run to the finals. And right now, Marcus and I are celebrating a completely meaningless <laughs> regular season win against a kind of sh- Portland team, so yes, things have completely changed. And I'll tell you what, uh, today we're going to be welcoming in Christian Peak, who is Yahoo's all things college sports uh, and NBA draft expert to help figure out just where the season might head for the Warriors, what draft picks could actually turn everything around, and her knowledge is going to be crazy important. But before we do, let's jump into this a little bit, all right? So I, I talked about it real briefly at the outset of last week's episode, but we didn't really get to discuss it. In fact, you boys weren't around. So Steph's hurt. In fact, we just found out that after a surgery to his left hand, he is going to be out for three months at least. And I I don't know how to underline words at least on a podcast, as so you can imagine me doing that, because I'd be surprised if he came back that early. So upsides, downsides. Talk about the downside. It's obvious Steph Curry is one of the most fun players to watch. Period. Not true just this year. Not true just this decade. Period. Ever. And he just so happens to be ours, right? He's the face. He's the heart. He's the soul of the franchise. So to lose him in a season where we were fired up to watch him break in a new city and hopefully set the new scoring record sucks. It sucks. And there's nothing that I can say that takes away the sting of losing a player of that caliber. Yeah,
0: For sure. And I think there's also, I'm already hearing rumblings of, Does this change his place in the legacy of basketball greats? Because in the past couple of seasons, he's been out for over 10 games and, you know... those guys well right exactly <laughs> it's it's like this is such a fluke injury it has nothing to do with it. it's his hand for god's sakes like he's had no problems with this in the past but it's so frustrating that it gets recontextualized as oh well is he not a super durable player of course
3: well and it also sucks to now be on the other side of this pent-up resentment from all these other teams each one of these teams have been waiting to come in and punch us in the yeah. mouth and it's not like any of that anger went anywhere so now we're coming in without any guns we don't even have a knife for the gunfight and we're getting punched as hard as human or I guess shot as hard as humanly possible that part sucks too
4: it does but I think they're also not getting as much enjoyment they being the other teams out of coming in and punching us or shooting us when nobody who they were aiming for is on the floor I mean they mm-hmm. somebody tweeted out today that um, when they play the Rockets nobody who suited up against in the series for the Warriors in the playoffs last season will be yep available to play right like not a single warrior that's fair so it's just a different ball game you know like you're playing a different team i think seeing the warriors logo still gets people pumped because for five years you were getting punked throughout you know the entire year in, in the playoffs but i think it's just different i think you know they they mentally get up for that game and then when they get there and they are dribbling against kai bowman and they're going to the hole against Marquise Chris, you know, it's a different kind of motivation once they get into the second and third and fourth quarters of a game.
3: It's also a lose-lose analysis for them. I mean, given our current roster, each opposing team is probably favored coming into this. So if they beat us, they were supposed to. And if they lose, they've lost to a terrible team. Like, there's not a whole lot of upside for them Um, but you know figuring out why we're disappointed to have lost sc30 is not a real hard thing let's look at its upsides because they are real deal and in fact i'll go so far as to say i think this is the best possible thing that could have happened to the warriors this year i mean and i don't think there's a whole lot of leeway around that and i'll tell you what Rusty said something last week that really, really stuck with me, and I think it's important to remember now. When we look at the various luminaries in the NBA, what teams have been phenomenal for as long as they could possibly be? The first team we all think of is San Antonio, right? And there's a lot of reasons for it. When the main reason we think of is Popovich, and they got a great owner and RC Buford. They have a lot of stability. But what I had forgotten and what Rusty repointed out is that really, really the main reason that they have been successful for two decades wasn't because of of any of those gentlemen's uh, talent. It wasn't just because of David Robinson. It's because when David Robinson got hurt and they sat that fool, they lost enough games to get the number one pick, got Tim Duncan, and re-upped the entire dynasty. You know, that, that's the way that the NBA is trying to break up dynasties, right? You're right. not supposed to only take one year off. And the Warriors have that exact opportunity. We may lose Steph and Clay for a single year at a top five pick and literally just reset the dynasty. Or put differently, we're going to accelerate this team's uh, reascension to title contention by like 10 years. Yeah.
4: I mean, I think it's, you know, I think you're in the spin room pretty deep. You know, you, we lose, you know, unanimous MVP, and we're like, here's why it's so amazing. But, you know, it's a Warriors podcast, so deal with it. But um, what, what I think is interesting is there's no there's no Tim Duncan in college right now. So even though we are trending towards getting the top pick and if we get the number one pick, There's no James Wiseman is not Tim Duncan. You know, like he is not that same transcendent player who's going to be dominant in the league for 20 plus years. Um, But that said, I agree. I think there is upside to it. I think the upside for me is that we don't have to, Steph and Dre don't have to sit there and drag a team full of youngsters through a regular season and put those miles on their bodies because we saw that it was just too much. I mean, even the, the first games, you know, like the, we'd be in there and we'd be down by 30 to Phoenix, yep. you know, with both of them playing. And it's, you know, th- there's a lot of pressure on them to continue the greatness of the Warriors run. And now that's kind of off. It's like, okay, them not putting that pressure on them and just letting us be a, a bottom team and letting the youngsters grow and trial by fire and not having Steph and Draymond feel like they have to keep us afloat until Clay comes back. I think is the the blessing in disguise. I
3: completely agree. I, I, the part I disagree with is that this is full spin cycle. And I won't use the Spurs as an example. I'll use the Warriors. Under Cohan, the Warriors did the one thing you should never do in the NBA. Be perennially mediocre. Yeah. And that is exactly what they were set up to be had Steph remained healthy. Right? I mean, like, let's say that this year played out the way we all thought it was. And they hang around contention. And they bring back Clay. And they're able to fight and get an eight seed, let's say. And let's further say they play really well. And they win that first round. And we're all really happy about it. You know what happens the next year? They get no difference makers. None. They don't get a draft pick. They don't have anything that they can use as a trade asset, whatever it is. And presumably, we reset, starting exactly there going into the next year. We're breaking that cycle. right? Right? I mean... It's fair to say, and you're already disappointed me, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Christian is I was hoping she was going to come in and say James Wiseman, in fact, is like Shaq, <laughs> except for better. Or maybe a little bit better than Tim Duncan, whoever it is. So you're right to say we're not guaranteed that a season this year means a difference maker next year. But I think we can agree that a mediocre season this year would do nothing but but you know beget the cycle of mediocrity, sure, right?
4: Sure, yeah. No, there's definitely upside in that, and that's a great point. Check um, out
3: that that yeah. term. Beget the cycle of mediocrity. I don't even know if those are all like correct words. Maxime, do those those are all real words or I'm dead
1: over here. Yeah, yeah, boom. That's how
3: I roll, buddy. <laughs> what are you thinking? Have we talked you into the upside of this?
0: Oh yeah, I was actually I you know, I went through the whole range of emotions thinking about like, man, this ain't spin, like what's my take gonna be of like what's the opposite of a spin room? Um but I do think there is something to Okay, first of all, the reason that I don't think it's spin is that we absolutely rolled through people in the playoffs. 1 KD was hurt. So it's very clear that Clay, Draymond and Steph as a core are nasty. That's true. But we also had Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston. That makes a huge difference. So I, you know, I think yeah, we might have clawed our way into the playoffs only to find out that actually it really, really matters who's, you know, who's 4 and 5, who's coming off the bench, who's going to do that mid-range scoring for you. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's very, very important that we go out and we get ourselves a a top pick that we can either use to flip for somebody else um, who's already more established in the NBA or that we can grow organically. And I think we can absolutely be back in title contention next year. And that's what's up. This is kind of a blessing.
3: I'll turn that into another upside. So they aren't just also missing Sean and Andre, but they're also missing veterans like that who have a real understanding of what their roles need to be. You know, last year, everybody knew exactly when they were coming in, and when they were in there, everybody knew exactly what they needed from them. This year, we not only lost the people and their experience, we lost all that understanding. Nobody knows what the hell they're supposed to be doing. It's coming into focus a little bit, but really, we're not going to know until they bring everybody back. One of the upsides of this injury, we just turned this year basically into an 82-game training camp, Mm -hmm. into an opportunity to watch all of these guys. Which one of you dudes should be here next year? And then when we find that guy, all right, now what should your role be? Maybe Jacob Evans is the next Andre. Mm -hmm. Maybe Eric Paschel is an offensive-minded Draymond. Maybe he's not, right? Maybe we have to move on in a different way. But after this year... One, we'll have a sense of who the hell they are, and then two, they will know what we expect from them. We're giving them real experience, yeah? Yeah,
4: no, I definitely agree. And I mean, I think if you look at who would be the starting lineup, right? Like right now, none of the people who start for us would play with the team if everybody was healthy. Right. So, you know, like it's just an, un- it's not a realistic look at what the Warriors really are. Like Steph, Clay, you know, Draymond, maybe you could argue, argue D'Lo would start, but kavan like, none of these players are playing, right. so you're not seeing a team, like, you're letting the second unit gel, and like you said, that 82-game training camp for the second unit to come in starts to reinforce the old edict of strength in numbers. That's exactly right. And
3: if if this continues the way we would like it to, and let's say Eric Pashal comes off the bench for us next year, or next year there is zero way to approximate the experience he's getting right now you know I mean if we need a big bucket from him off the bench in a playoff game his experience of being our main scorer for 82 games is going to do nothing but really help that ability and i here's an oversimplification and kind of a stupid one but that's what I specialize in so let's do it I, uh, for three-day weekends or for vacations or anything like that my favorite part of them is right before for a three-day weekend it's Friday afternoon before work is ended right for a week off it's right before it started because I like looking forward to things when I'm actually in it it's starting to end this season feels like the Friday afternoon of a three-day weekend you know we got to get through this part for sure there's still a little bit of work to do but presumably hopefully the future is crazy bright it's all ahead of us which makes that you they know however many losses we're going to have this year these 65 losses we <laughs> may <made laughs> pile up all of it is a precursor hopefully to the championship that we're rolling to right so look This isn't what we wanted. It's not what we wanted Chase to start. And I'm not going to say that when the season started, all of us were fired up for a 25-1 year. Nobody wanted that. But if we're going to look at this, as things stand now, there's undeniable upsides. There really are. It's not all bullshit. I I genuinely believe it.
4: No, I agree. I mean, the most intimidating and maybe um, talent-infused starting five was last season. And this season, we have... bunch of people who nobody knows who they are and it's like if we were playing with house money on one side with the most talented team it's, it's full circle but it's on the other side of yeah, that. we're exactly still right. playing with house money but it's just you know any game we win we weren't supposed to win that game
3: would you try to lose if you were in charge of the Warriors, um, would and you know not you're not going to tell the guys you know like all right make sure you score less points like no one's going to go out and tank on purpose but would you shape the starting five shape the rosters shit people strategically to try to pile up losses?
4: This is the beauty of it. You don't have to try to tank. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! They're young enough, and they you know like once the grind of an 82 game season. Starts to kick in for people who are used to 30 game seasons on the college level. Like, once that happens, you don't have to try to tank. It's just going to tank naturally because, <laughs> you know, like these teams start to get focused. They get in better shape. You know, the West is just absurd this year.
3: Um, they have scouting reports on yeah. Kai Bowman, everybody else. It's, like where they it's actually a want beautiful
4: situation. You don't have to tell Lakeup can say, we're not trying to tank, and he's right. We're not trying to tank, we just aren't good enough to win this year.
3: This shows why this is like reason what number 85,001 you're a better person than me. <laughs> Yes, that's 100% right. I would definitely try to take. I'd have to <laughs> like, the 10,000th person, person in Chase Center would be my sixth man off the bench. You know, just says, look, it's a promotion. You don't like what we're doing? Don't come to the games. It is what it is. Let's make it happen. <laughs> How about you, Maxime? Split our difference.
0: That's a sick idea. Yeah, yeah see, there you go, Joe, <laughs> <Show>, you're in.
3: <laughs> People are gonna stop coming to the games anyways. They're having trouble getting rid of these $40,000 tickets. Let's go, I would show up if I got to play.
0: Oh, ticket prices would go way back. Way now. up, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in. Yeah, I'd be sitting outside the stadium with like a counter, you know, waiting yeah, like... Stretching. Okay, $9,720. alright right, I'm going in. Let's do this. Uh, nah, I'm, I, I think I'm with Marcus on this one. I don't think we have to try at all. And I think the more that it becomes clear that we're really not trying to tank, the more these guys are going to actually work hard every night because they believe that they should be trying to win yep. and that that matters a lot if you if you come in with i mean look at how draymond responded to to pascal after that game he was juiced to see him go out and try to rip this dude's throat out yep. that matters it, it creates a winning culture even if even if you know that you're not going to be doing the winning
3: that's absolutely true um and in fact we're something we're going to be visiting on a week-to-week basis and let me reset that so yeah, hopefully, right, if we're right about any of this, the Warriors will be back into championship contention soon enough. If not, twenty twenty, sometime in the near future. But this year's still going. We still got a lot of fun, hopefully, joyful games to tank our way through I mean, play our way through. <laughs> and I'm gonna try to change the format of our show a little bit. To kind of accommodate this new warriors reality so i listen to a lot of warriors podcasts there's a lot of great stuff out there but one of the things that annoys me is that most of those other warriors podcasts spend their time going through the minutia of regular season games and i've watched the games i don't need them to remind me you know what field goal percentage they shot in the third i find that stuff to be a waste of time so on our show we're not going to follow the crowd instead we're going to spend our year Re-answering, revisiting, looking at the season's biggest questions, and then track things like, are the Warriors trying to lose? Are they close back to championship contention? Should they keep D'Angelo Russell? These ongoing weekly topics. And the idea will be, we will either go through all of them or just a few of them, but we'll revisit these things. And the topics are trying or tanking, D'Lo stay or go, give him the bag, Draymond's dungeon, asshole of the week, and shining moments quickly trying or tanking is exactly as it sounds we will all give our opinions on whether or not the Warriors are actively trying to lose or trying to win the games D'Lo stay or go give an immediate opinion right now this week on whether or not we want D'Angelo Russell to be a long-term member of the Warriors or maybe is better suited as a trade piece or maybe just a wait and see we'll we'll have that be uh, shifting throughout the year Give him the bag. We're going to look at players who we think have already earned a spot uh, on the team given their performance over the last week, right? So if we're viewing this as an ongoing tryout, as a training camp, well, then let's do that. What are our takes of all these new guys on a week-to-week basis? Draymond's dungeon. Draymond's not supposed to be here. After Steph got hurt, after Clay's out, right, the OG3, he's the lone one there. It sounds like they may try to come up with... uh, you know, fake injuries or real injuries, whatever reasons for him not to play. But if that doesn't happen, it's going to be real interesting to see how he deals with this year. Either he's going to be the greatest leader of all time or he's going to commit 18 to 19 homicides. We'll find out together. (laughs) So in that segment, we'll comment on how he's doing on a weekly basis. And finally... Asshole of the week. That one's pretty much self-explanatory. It doesn't have to come from the Warriors. It can uh, be from an opposing team. Also, I head faked you. That wasn't the final one. There's also shining moments. Um, If there's anything from the last few games that have stuck out to us, let's try them out, boys. Um, Trying or tanking? Right now, are the Warriors trying to win games, or are they actively tanking?
4: i go trying. I think their last game against Portland just showed. Like, they... They want to prove to people that they are professional basketball players and they made it into the league for a reason. Um, But I think it, again, will end up with us looking like we're tanking because you're not going to get Pascal to score 34 points a night.
3: Phenomenal distinction. So we will never assume that the players are trying to tank. It's not, that's not gonna happen. These guys have been competitive their entire life. You put them on the floor, they're gonna try to win. That's what's up. If I play hoop against my four-year-old daughter, I try to beat her. I don't always win, but you know, whatever. I, I try to do it. So this question is more, Is the franchise trying to lose? And I'll answer my own question here. I think they are. So, right before the Charlotte game, I tweeted out somewhat jokingly it's gonna be a hard loss to get. This team is fairly (laughs) crappy. It's like watching two YMCA teams go after each other. I'm really worried about the Warriors' ability to secure the loss. And before I could finish the tweet, the Warriors announced that Draymond Green is dealing with a mysterious finger injury and D'Angelo Russell is out for at least the next three games. I'm not a trainer. I haven't seen any of their medical records. But that struck me as, ooh, these guys are crappy too. We better sit all of our talent. So I'll go ahead and say Tank. What do you got, Maxine?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you uh, if you looked at their offensive and defensive ratings a couple of days ago, it was dead last. If that's not a Tank, I don't know what is. <laughs> Boy. Although Boy, they might not be able to play. Effort, it, though, yeah. t- I mean,
4: just <laughs> reality, right? I mean, they say, I think... D'Lo was, his plus-minus, it was at some point the worst in the entire league out of every player. Who oh. so <laughs> played a certain number of minutes. So, you know, like at that point, it doesn't matter if he's on the floor and the organization is trying to tank. We are just tanking because we don't have enough talent to compete. Yeah.
3: No, and which is why it, it will really deal... The, the only way we could know the answer to this question is if we knew the actual health of D'Angelo Russell and Draymond Green sure. because if they are capable of playing basketball and they didn't then there's not a whole lot of secondary analysis right. that we need to go through <laughs> D'Lo stay or go as of right now right uh, I don't know however many games we're in like five six games in would you guys like D'Lo to be an, a long term member of the organization or are you ready to ship his ass out
4: that's hard I mean you don't it, how do you know we, we haven't seen him play long enough with the full squad to really know okay. like you know him playing just playing with curry and draymond for a handful of games isn't enough to really accurately assess and then you have to add in clay but i just i don't think the fit is right i think if they get a high draft pick especially the number 1 pick i think they seriously look at packaging the number 1 pick and dlo for somebody like going after giannis that's yes, absolutely yeah
0: yeah, so just, you know, looking at the salaries of the top four, right? The all stars on our team, Steph is making forty mil this year, Clay at thirty three, is making twenty eight, and Draymond is making eighteen point five. There's no room left for anything. Nope. So at the end of the day, like one of those guys has gotta go and as far as I'm concerned, the the worst fit out of all of those permutations is D'Angelo Russell.
3: I don't know how many times this week I said to myself, is he really a max player? Did he actually get a max contract? Now, good on him. Embrace the idea behind this segment. We are 7 games in. We, who knows? Maybe the next time we all talk, we'll be like, "Jesus, he's the greatest player I've ever seen." But I am willing to say that after a couple weeks of his season, I'm not exactly bowled over by Delo's talents, <laughs> right? I mean, and and again, we are early. It's Give- a
4: system too, though, right? I mean, he's elite at pick and roll and we are figuring out a way to add more pick and roll so it's like a third of our play Calling system when normally we're just, you know, like ball motion and and do the exact opposite of what he's elite at.
3: If Rusty is right with what he was saying last week, and I thought it was an incredibly astute observation, um, and at the risk of boring you guys with reiterating it, essentially what he said was that the Warriors are not running a whole lot of pick and rolls. They're capable of putting that in. The reason they are not, because D'Angelo Russell is not a long term portion of their plan, so they don't necessarily need to fit in his offense. And the corollary of that is force d'angelo to run your offense can he fit in you know like and you get to see and we will sure as hell at least get a sense of how he fits within this offense to your point we won't see it perfectly because this offense is supposed to revolve around steph and clay and we won't have them right. so we're going to lose a little portion of that but we'll at least get a sense of it right, right. Yeah. um give him the bag this one's easy eric paschel and there's not, you know, there's no if, ands, or buts. If I could press a button right now and sign him up for the next like five years, I would immediately. <laughs> I'm already talking about Roy, or rookie of the year, so I'm on board. You guys uh, find anybody else or?
4: That's a no brainer. Yeah, it's got to be Eric.
0: Yeah, no doubt.
3: Draymond's dungeon, can't talk about, they already took his ass out, so
0: (laughs) who knows if he's
3: punching people, but uh, we'll have to revisit that one in a minute. And then asshole of the week for me, Rodney Hood, did you guys watch the, uh, so during that Portland game, Hood, while the refs aren't looking, come up behind Jordan Poole and literally hit him, like hit him viciously, pushed him from behind uh, in a play that was later called a flagrant one. Um, so this one's pretty easy for me. F you, Roddy Hood. You are <laughs> congratulations, asshole of the week.
4: Yeah, I'll double up with you. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with him.
3: Last one, shiny moment. Anything? Something from the last few games. Some moment that has you excited for the future or enjoying a player.
0: What I what I loved. I mentioned it earlier, and it, maybe this doesn't count because it's not during the forty eight minutes. But um, I loved seeing Draymond's reaction. To to Eric Pascal's birthday game, um, because it came sort of in the context of Draymond not really showing a ton of public support for some of the younger teammates, yep. being a little bit frustrated with their play in practice, um, and so to see him, you know, give him Daps, it felt like uh, there might actually be some opportunity for. For synergy down sure. the road and that just it felt really good it was the first time that I was like yes this is my team this is the strength in numbers this is what I want to see
4: you think he gave him two tickets to Janet Jackson for a <laughs> b- birthday present too As
1: you know that Eric <laughs> here took- you go
4: <laughs>
3: Eric definitely would take him and don't you bring that topic back up man we're going through this without hatred at all and now I hate you so nicely played my moment Uh there's a moment also in that Portland game where Kai Bowman comes down with a rebound, uh, sprints the length of the floor, puts in an and one against um, Hassan Whiteside. And actually, it wasn't an and one. He, he got fouled, but there was an actual foul call. Hassan is a little bit pissed off, shoves Kai Bowman, and it starts it back and forth. Mm. And I loved Kai because he called him an asshole and, and kind of went after him. But it wasn't Bowman who got my attention. The thing that got my attention was Clay Thompson. That so that fracas happens. Bowman is, is up inside of Whiteside. He then gets pulled back. And if you look at the video, who pulled him back was Clay Thompson, which I, I you know, this is nothing. It's a throwaway point. But I was used to rooting for superstars who don't even sit on the bench when they are hurt. Case in point, KD. Right? Clay is not only on the bench; is not only remarkably engaged in every play on a lost season, but got up and hobbled his ass out there to pull a teammate back he hasn't known for longer than five games. Yeah. So it, it was just Yo. it was a slow reminder of why I love Clay, even without him doing anything actually during the forty-eight.
4: Yeah, I agree. That that moment was my shiny moment, too, but for the other people but along with Clay, I thought for it being so early in the season and for that moment to happen and Hassan gives the, the forearm to Kai and the bench immediately Absolutely jumps off. Right. I mean, you look at it and you're like, oh, the whole team's getting suspended because yep. they didn't care at all. They just jumped yep. out and it was like everybody had their back and it was like that moment, like we're all together. And it's like for them to – coalesce that quickly as a unit around this. I think it speaks volumes of the culture and it says like You know, they may not win a lot of games, but they are going to be the team that says they fought hard every game.
0: Do you think that was manufactured so that they all did get suspended and we (laughs) lose the next game? If
3: so, light years, my friends. (laughs) Light years. And I love (laughs) that they are thinking (laughs) in that way. Um, And to complete your point, or at least to support it, juxtapose that to how they looked in that first game against the Clip. I mean, they just looked so disjointed, like they had never met one another. You know, that they didn't know the system in any way, shape, or form. And now they're putting up fights. They're, they're starting to get a sense of how they can help. They're getting their roles down, right? Yeah. And they like each other, so they're willing to fight for one another.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Let's turn to my favorite segment, the off the court report. Normally speaking, this means I shut up and we give the mic to somebody else to give us some observations they've had on the team off the court. But this one's a little bit different, boys. I actually have some off the court stories, both of which have to do with Chase. So I went to my first game there, I went to the Saturday night game against Charlotte, and I also got to go to a shoot around right before the Portland game. So I got a stories from each. Let's start with the Charlotte game. So, upsides downsides, right? Chase Center is as advertised, at least as far as a building and experience is concerned. I took the ferry from Oakland, it's awesome, it's beautiful. Um, Drank a few beers, both on the boat and during the walk. I love the Kali, you know how I feel about Oracle. I've spent my life going uh, to Hagenberger, but I can tell you that drinking on the San Francisco Bay as opposed to in a parking lot right off of East Oakland was a lot nicer, man, there's no goddamn question. They have nice food, they have nice beers there, the environment is beautiful, I genuinely enjoyed it. The, The experience was a phenomenal one and that building is great. But that's not really what we care about, right? Like most of the Warrior fans out there, when we talk about chasing or when we talk about the Warrior's experience there, we don't give a shit about the amenities. We don't care whether or not the people who are enjoying the game can also enjoy a locally sourced empanada. That's not what's up. <laughs> what we care about is the actual... Uh, advantage that the Warriors get by playing in front of that crowd. And for years and years and years and years and years, they enjoyed the best home court advantage I felt in the NBA. And we've all been worried about that going into this one. And I can confirm that worry is justified. Mm. So I went, and what I felt like was going to a wedding at a winery. Here's what I mean. There's no doubt people were there to celebrate. No doubt people were there to relax. I mean, it was viewed as a have fun experience. But also you're surrounded by this opulence. There's so much money. There is so much time that was put into the environment around you that you feel weird about celebrating. Like the same way I wouldn't scream, you know, congratulations in a winery and a wedding. I felt weird screaming there. There was a moment when I spilled a beer in my seat and, you know, I digress, but that beer probably cost about $800 and those seats <laughs> cost way more. If I wanted to piss my beer out, I should be allowed to. When I uh, spilled it, I felt really out of place. I felt like I was at like someone else's house and they would notice and kick me out when I was walking around the interior in the hallways. Again, it felt like I was in a museum. So maybe all this shifts, right? And maybe it's just a matter of experience. But adding this amount of money into an experience that shouldn't have to do with that, that should have to do with supporting your team is distracting. It absolutely is. So we are all going to ultimately have to get over that and i did you know so i was there um we're all meeting new acquaintances one of the interesting sidelights of being a season ticket holder is you get to establish relationships with these people you otherwise wouldn't know it's all the people you see consistently and you know at, at oracle i knew all the people around us we are now establishing new relationships with the people here and i can tell you that the people in front of me hate me my god do they hate me <laughs> this guy every time i i brought my voice above, I don't know, as I'm currently speaking, like this decibel, he would whisper to his wife and they'd both look back at me. And so in the beginning, I didn't take it real well, man. Like I didn't I didn't uh, cheer like I wanted to, I felt out of place. But as I got more and more comfortable and drunk, that stopped. <laughs> I started screaming louder than that lady booed in The Princess Bride. I brought everything I had. So there is optimism, there's reasons to think we will shift. But it is absolutely different. It really is, and it's going to take a minute for us all to get used to it. Um, which leads to the second story. So I went to the shoot around before Portland, and they're kind of interrelated, right? So I've never been to a shoot around, um, and really, whenever I go to these things, boys, I just don't want to stick out. I want to like do whatever it is everyone else is doing, so they can't tell that I haven't done this a thousand times. You know, like act like you've been there before. I keep waiting for someone to run over and be like, "What are you doing here?" and kick me out. So we go to the shooting around it's Portland's, uh, Portland's turn-up on the court and Dame Lillard is off to the side in the courtside seats and everyone's talking to him. And so I walk over there and again, I just don't want to stick out, man. So they're talking to him and talking to him and talking to him and finally they ask him something about the move to Oakland and he says this.
0: Does it kind of piss you off the wrong way of putting it, but like, as an Oakland, you like
1: Raiders, Warriors, Hazy. Kind of, you do it, do right? it. It just it just rubbed me wrong. It's like man, y'all don't see like I've watched games here, like on TV. Something that's in the crowd just it's not the same. Like people leaving games early. Like where was where the, where's the pride? People, like I've seen people leaving games early do you see like the fan like the Raiders have like had I think they went like 12 and 4 a few years back and then like been struggling struggled for like 10 years before that and it was still like the black hole is still there you right. still see like the nation in support like why would you leave that behind you know it's real it's a real sense of pride um, in Oakland about everything that represents us you know and it's like you know, Warriors Go across the bridge. Um, Raiders going to Vegas. It's almost like, um, like the money grab. The money, the money moves. It's kind of like pushing, like the real love and what's really behind these organizations to the side, which is understandable, and also not understandable because I'm from Oakland. So,
3: so he says this, and you know we pick up the story again i just don't want to stick out every time any of these players are being asked questions part of my mind is screaming this is your only opportunity say something but the other portion of me is if you say something awful they're gonna kick you out you won't get another invite you know so i just try to play it cool and sit back and what we just heard is, like, the fourth or fifth question that's asked to name. And he starts talking about that, and I start sweating like a maniac, like <laughs> I have dysentery. Because this is my topic, you know? Like, they've left Oakland, and I'm hella angry about it, too. And he's obviously agreeing with me. It's my opportunity to, to, you know finally get to know a superstar on the basis of being from Oakland. So I don't say anything then. I let his answer finish um, and that was the final response he gave and everybody starts slowly walking away. But I don't want to let the opportunity go. So I walk up to him and casually mention that I was born and raised in Oakland, that I've been going to games forever, that I went to the game Saturday night and give him a real quick version of what I just told you boys. That it was like going to a wedding at a winery and all this stuff. And it gives me a look that suggests that he's interested. So I keep going and I try to talk to him about, well, and I spill the beer and I felt really awkward and somewhere along that he pushes his eyebrows up like ooh are you still talking gets up and walks away immediately when I'm about I don't know three words into a 20 word sentence So, I thought we were going to become best friends, and maybe it'll still happen. Maybe, I don't know this for sure, maybe he left to go ask somebody for my phone number. And if he did, I haven't received the call yet. But anyways, it was uh, a very interesting interaction, and I don't think Dame Limbert is going to be coming on the show
4: anytime soon. Good job. Nailed that one.
3: (laughs) I've got my moments.
4: Um, Yeah. I mean, I think what he touches on, I know we covered it a couple podcasts ago, but what you could do to the Chase Center to make it feel different and try to recapture some of that magic. Um, And I wonder, I mean, these are two completely different ideas and one, both of them are unlikely, but one idea is what if you sold half of the seats and not just the upper bowl, but like literally the different sections, like when they give you different color t-shirts. Alternating? Yeah, alternating sections. Um, what if you sold those at different price points like what if you sold one to San Francisco and one to Oakland hmm. and one to San Francisco and one to Oakland and at the price points that allowed for the fan base who's been priced out to be integrated in there as a as a fan base um, you know it would obviously make their revenue decline and we wouldn't be sitting at the 700 number that they were touting as you know a gaudy number but I think it would help with the energy and with the fandom and with it making it feel like this is really the Bay Area's team.
3: What you're talking about is pick a goal for a Pick a goal. Yeah. What's your goal with Chase Center? Is your goal with Chase Center to make more money than God? You got it. You know. And if that's what you want to do, keep doing exactly what you're doing. You know. Yeah. If your goal with Chase Center was building a cathedral to basketball, is what he said. If your goal with Chase Center was to give your team the best shot at winning a championship, then stop making all this money. I mean, there's, it's not a whole lot of room for you know for interpretation either. You realize that the lower tax bracket involves a much more passionate fan base, and lean into that and give your team an advantage, or you just admit that this was a capitalistic move, a money grab, as Dan Miller put it, and lean in that direction. But you're going to have to pick one, and what you're saying would lean towards the other.
4: Yeah. And the second idea is much, much more trivial, but um, you see this in the U.K. with the beautiful game that you love so much. Jesus Brandon. Christ.
3: Do they play basketball <laughs> out there, too? With,
4: with soccer. Um, the beautiful you know,
3: game. Maxime, can we cut that or beep it or something? I mean, just, he's just <laughs> dropping that only that. to make us angry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there you go. I hate you, too.
4: Um, but, you know, their tickets are expensive for a lot of the key marquee matchups, um, And they still have passionate fans that do that. And one of the things that if you go to a game like a Premier League game, one of the things that stands out is the chanting and the singing. And it's all in unison. It's these songs that have a ton of history and everybody's singing them, you know, all ages and they just it's moving like it'll give you goosebumps when you're in that in that stadium. And you've said it before, it's like one of the things that college basketball does is coordinated chants. What if we brought that into the Chase Center? Like, what if that's a way to kind of unify and say, here's a way to bring people, you know, on the same page? It doesn't matter, you know, your, your income level at that point. It's like everybody's on the same page in terms of something that's a rallying cry. And it, it's silly and it sounds trivial, but it's something like that that would be needed that would hasn't happened in the NBA before. But it's like, what can you do that to kind of bring in a cultural and kind of a, a historical thing to this franchise in a way that seeds it with this new stadium, so it's not just a completely new canvas.
3: You know why I love that idea? Because it also solves the other problem that's happening with the new Chase Center fan base. We're not that intelligent of a basketball crowd anymore. Right. We need to be shown giant things on the video board of when to chant defense, right? Or, or when to scream, let's go, Warriors, where that used to be intuitive. We knew when the Warriors needed our help and we would jump in. What you're talking about is something that would not require any basketball intelligence. You know, if all we literally need is a word up on the screen to sing a song, we could support the team without actually having to recognize which moments they needed our support in.
0: You know why I love that idea? Bram, you could write these songs, man.
3: Look I around do. the league. Ooh, did you hear that? That's
1: <laughs> on point. That's exactly
0: <laughs> right.
3: And it actually reminds me of another point I forgot to make about the Saturday Night thing, and it was about the fan base in general. There's an unbelievable amount of whiplash that's going on in the seats, and here's what I mean. Right after the starting lineups were announced, this gentleman um, sitting to my right leaned over and goes, where's Steph Curry. I give him a weird look, you know, and and explain to him that he's hurt. And then he explains back to me, my wife and I traveled from Iceland. We came here for vacation. One of the reasons we came was to watch the Warriors and Steph's out. And so obviously this guy has an excuse to not know what the hell was going on. But he was an extreme example of what a lot of people are are in there suffering through. I really believe there's a large portion of Chase Center that aren't basketball fans. What they are are people who have expendable income, recognize the Warriors as an event. They've been remarkably successful and took advantage of that and in the meantime weren't really paying attention to the x's and o's didn't know Steph was gone didn't know they lost KD this whole thing and they've now shown up to what they thought was going to be this elite winning experience and they're watching them get their asses handed to them you know and not recognizing a lot of the names and what you feel is a weird confusion a disconnect you know there are some fans out there myself included who have already made the flip to Cohen. You know, like we understand we got to lose this, have just enjoy the game. Who cares? It's fine. There, we, there are still intelligent fans out there, but it's no longer the majority of that fan base. That has absolutely changed.
0: You know, so there's, there's something that I was thinking about in the context of, uh, of how Steph's injury could be a blessing, and I think it applies to this move to Chase Center as well. We're not going back to Oakland. That's set in stone. But I think we have an opportunity here. You know, We saw the secondary market ticket prices drop dramatically. Two prices that are somewhat reasonable for some of these OG fans to no longer be priced out. To go to the games and honestly to show everybody else who's still there, this new uh, era of Chase Center people, how you're actually supposed to participate in a basketball game. Yep. If you do that over the course of 82 seasons, you're going to get the people who are eventually going to be coming to these games when the Warriors are good next season – you're, you're giving them the opportunity to learn what it takes to actually be a fan. There's actually the potential for this um, collaboration to happen over the course of this season. Um, and it could be a really good thing to set the tone for how Chase Center is supposed to behave. Right.
3: No, I think that is absolutely right. So when do we finally judge Chase Center crowd? We, we've talked about how many games the Warriors need before we look at them, right? And it's fair to say that this this uh, new fan base, or at least this new section of the fan base, is going to need some time to get used to it. So when can I conclusively say, F you San Francisco, you're not doing this right? How long do I have to wait before that's a fair statement?
4: I think <laughs> at least until the full team is on the floor for at least 20 games. Like, you can't... They're, it's hard to cheer for this team, and we're... You know, like avid followers of this team, and it's even hard for us to get pumped up for you know Glenn Robinson, you know scoring nine, eight, and four. So, cool. um, you know, I think once the full team is back, once they've had twenty home games of Steph and Clay going splash brothers on them, Draymond having a triple double, whoever else we have, if it's D'Lo or whatever other star or, or group of players are in there. If they're still quiet and when we don't win a game, it's they're still quiet. I think that's when um, is
3: that fair MT? Yeah, okay, but but here's what let me ask you again. Um, and let me ask it a different way. I think that fans are more impressive when they're helping their team win when they desperately need them. When the team is successful, they don't need the fans, they're already winning, right? I mean, like it's it's when the team is being is, is in the doldrums, when they are unsuccessful, when they need that spark from the other 19,000 people who aren't in uniforms. And if what you're saying is we can't judge these guys until they get to watch the team win, I think that's ass backwards. I think like what we need to do is see when they're awful. And if then, if we are still supporting them, that's a great crowd. That's who we were in Oracle.
4: Yeah, but we were that way in Oracle because of the history. Like you can't remove the Sleepy Floyd teams and Wilt and all that winning and then say, yeah, but you guys sucked for so long. It's like, yeah, we felt what it was like to win as an organization. Then we were terrible for years, but we had already said, okay, we know what it feels like to have a winning team. We're all in on our Warriors and it doesn't matter.
3: Make this personal for me. You and I from mid nineties onward went to a ton of Warriors games. You know, I made a ton of Warriors games. They lost probably 90% of those games. I'll keep it personal. When I was rooting for them, it wasn't because of some memory of where they were successful. It's because I was a fan of the goddamn team. And I was going to lose my mind while I was there when I was rooting for them. That wasn't true for you?
4: I was a fan of the team because I was a fan of Run TMC. I, I went to go see Run TMC play and they got me so excited to be a basketball fan and into the NBA that when Run TMC was replaced with Gatling and Spree, well, I was still in because I was like, these are still the Warriors. I'm not going to jump ship because I remembered that yeah, feeling. It was such a good feeling. Yeah. If, if Run TMC never happened and me growing up, all I knew was Chris Gatling and Todd Fuller, then I don't know if I would have been as avid of a fan.
0: Just to point out, it, th- there's a there's a really beautiful thing that is encapsulated in that statement, um, which is that we're kind of going through that right now. And I mean, I know we might have sort of an upswing with the same generation of stars, but I think I think there's been a disparagement of people that that literally bandwagoned over the course of the past couple of years um onto this team that is sort of similar of the run tmc era and yeah we might suck again in the next 10 years and i think that we we owe it to the fan base to have a little bit of optimism that that a lot of them are going to stick around that a lot of them are going to have a spark um lit in them by watching Steph and Clay in this unbelievable run, and that will persist, and we will actually be able to have a fan base at Chase Center that that really cares about the game. And
3: to be fair, to play the devil's advocate on this other side, we also have to kind of follow the bouncing ball, right? You've got a a series of fans who've just watched this team achieve every level of success you can achieve for a five-year stretch, and then literally the very next year, lose everybody and get donkey smashed by a bunch of fools we don't necessarily uh, even recognize so am, is it fair for me to point at this fan base and be like why aren't you giving them standing ovations while they're catching donkey smashings <laughs> maybe that isn't necessarily the best analysis but i would like to see to putting all the points together i would like to see at the end of this year even if they aren't succeeding even if we don't have a Draymond triple double if we don't have a, a steph 60 point uh, spot, you know, something like that. I would like to see the team, I'm sorry, I'd like to see the fans give the team a spark, not the team give the fans a spark. Yeah. Because that's how this entertainment works. It's not a movie, it's a game. We are there to be fanatical over the team.
4: Yeah. I mean, the prequel is already out there, though. I mean, you had Clay Thompson, who is one of the easiest guys to get along with, especially as a fan base, calling out. warriors fan base last year saying like we needed you guys and you guys weren't cheering for us you weren't loud enough what happened you know and it's like if if that was happening back with the oracle crowd like what can you expect from the chase center
3: yeah oh that's uh that's factually accurate All right. With all of that in mind, so, you know, tons of reasons to be optimistic. We're going to enjoy this year, but also the draft is going to be crazy important. Really, the Warriors do need an infusion of talent. If this tanking goes the way that we hope it might go, they might have a top five, top three, maybe even top one pick to talk about. I haven't watched college basketball for the better part of a decade. When you said James Wiseman, I just nodded and smiled, (laughs) hoping that you would think that I knew who the hell you were talking about. So we're going to need an expert in our life who can break down who might be available and who the Warriors can get at the end of the year. Fortunately, we have the best person possibly available for that role, Miss Kristen Peake. Let's get her on the phone and get some knowledge. It is my extreme pleasure to announce that Ree joining us in the huddle, an 11-year veteran of Yahoo Sports, where she's covered the Olympics, the Super Bowl, the Final Four, UFC title fights, and focused on college basketball specifically for the last half decade. Our NBA draft expert and a woman who knows what players can vault the Warriors back into title contention next year, Miss Kristen Peake. What's going on, Kristen?
2: Hello. I. You know me. I'm happy to talk draft year round. So let's get after it. College basketball has started. I'm ready.
3: Where do we find you? Are you like somewhere sexy You in New York? You in California? I know this job asks you to travel a lot. So give us a little context. Where are you
2: at? Yeah. So I am in New York city. Um, the champions classic was last night. So we saw a very, very, very sloppy number one versus number two and number three versus number four to, to, to kind of quote unquote, kick off college basketball. Um, but it was, again, it was sloppy. Like you saw a Kansas team that had 27 total turnovers and they only lost to Duke, a very, very, uh, weak Duke team by, you know, three or four points. And, uh, then you had the, the Cinderella story of freshman Tyrese Maxey coming a day off after his 19th birthday, completely take the college scouts by storm. He had 26 points and, Uh, upset I guess I don't know because they were number two and Michigan State was number one um, the Michigan State Spartans so I'm here now tomorrow morning I go down to Durham for Duke's home opener um, which is always fun in Cameron and just to check out a practice to kind of get a better look at their freshmen and their prospects that could be coming out next year
3: Your vocal inflection already answered this question for me, but I'm going to ask it for you nonetheless. So, I mean, the the season just started, right? We're right at the outset, meaning that your job is about to become a much larger pain in your ass, at least as far as time is concerned. Are you excited? Like, do you get fired up for the year or are you a little apprehensive and, and pissy that you have to do extra work? No, it is. Yesterday
2: was Christmas. And this entire process is now, you know, you got ups and downs. Like, you look at someone like Wendell Moore from Duke last night, didn't play anything in the second half. And he was the top 15 player coming out of high school. So you got a very, uh, like, a five-star that is used to all the attention, all the playing time, and you walk in the locker room and no one wants to talk to him. So it's, it's a very humbling experience for him, and it's a learning experience. and. I just went up to him and I was like, Wendell, it's it's game one. Like, y'all are going to have your moments, you know, just cheer up, but they're not ready for it. So it's those, like, I, I, I just, I like seeing the ups and downs and the growth especially of these players. And then when the draft comes, it's, you know, anybody's game.
3: You should know two things about me, Christian. One, I'm an incredibly resentfully jealous person. And two, I kind of hate my job. So after that response, I mean, I'm not like, I'm going to ask you this again later on. I need you to tell me, oh, I hate it. It's weird. I find it super boring. No, uh, that you actually gave me the perfect transition to this question. So I've been holding on to it. Um, The last time we spoke to you was right before the last NBA draft. So it's been a while. And what you've always left me with is the impression that you develop a real relationship with these guys. While you're covering them before they get drafted, before they get the D1 scholarship offers, you get to know them. You get to know their family, which leads me to this question. Do you get emotionally involved with their success? Like when a D1 athlete who you have covered in the past or, or who you watched through high school has their first game, do you get butterflies? How does that affect you emotionally?
2: I um, I mean, it's hard. You, you cannot not be invested emotionally. Because just like you said, like I am in the gym. I am in the gym watching them play, watching them try out for USA basketball, watching them compete in NBA, MBPA top 100 camp. Like I am there from the time they're a freshman and coming new on the scene to the time that they're a senior, to the time that they make their commitment to whatever college. So when it's finally that time to hit the stage, and see what they can do. Of course I'm nervous for them and I want them to succeed. And when you see someone like Tyrese Maxey who by the way the first time I met him like scrawny kid, mouth full of braces, loved to shoot the three but didn't really have the consistency to being the high scoring the highest scoring freshman that John Calipari has ever coached at Kentucky in the debut of the season and have a night like that like that is just something, you know, you just you know how much how hard he's worked for it and to see him come out like that. And then also you see the flip side of that. You see some a kid like Keon Brooks who didn't play that much and Khalil Whitney who's struggling in the offense and you root for them internally on, you know, Kentucky. And same thing with Wendell Moore. Like I said, like he was so down in the locker room and just you give him the encouraging words, like it's uh, it's one game, you know, you can, it's fine. Like this is a long season. It's a long process, but these guys just feel the pressure and they think the world ends they they don't score 20 plus points or whatever.
3: Will you really encourage them? I mean, literally if somebody has a down game. You'll go and talk to them and let them know this, you know, the, the, the sun is still coming up tomorrow. You, you'll have a much brighter future.
2: Yeah. Cause what I do is, um, if, if I know they're down, I won't pull my phone out and put it in their face. I'll just walk up to them, like give them, you know, a friendly, like big sister side hug or whatever. And, and just be like, look, keep your head up. You got to learn from this. Sure. Like, everybody's gonna have their day and just move on (laughs) you know and it's so hard for a kid who has been on top his entire year to hear that and to know that maybe in four or five months like this is this performance this one performance that every nba scout was out like every nba team was at these last two games in fact i was sitting with the warrior scouts last night like watching watching these guys play so um they were at the game and everybody is nitpicking everything they do. So if you're not on the floor playing, that's stressful for these kids, you know, Um, so I just kind of want to give them a little nudge. Like, no, you guys are fine. It's one game.
3: You sitting with the Warrior Scouts offers not only the perfect transition, but also the perfect reason why you are the exact person we need to be talking to today. So Warriors fortunes have changed, Christian. Things have have been flipped on their head with Steph's injury, with Clay still sitting out. Um, With the roster turnover that we're dealing with, the Warriors are no longer world beaters. In fact, they're most likely lottery members, right? In fact, we just spent the better part of this podcast talking about why the Warriors should tank or maybe uh, not win as many games to try to get a top five pick. But I'll be honest with you, I don't know who the hell is out there. I've been pretty bad about watching college sports, and I think that's probably true for a lot of Warriors fans. So we need you to get a sense of who's out there and who the hell could revitalize this uh, this franchise. So let me start here. Is this the type of draft where there's a surefire number one pick? I mean, last year, for example, we knew before the season even started that Zion was going number one. Is this as top heavy this year?
2: I would say yes, that's the number one. I mean, the consensus number one overall draft pick is James Wiseman. He's a 7-1 center. He's playing in Memphis for Coach Penny Hardaway and assistant coach Mike Miller. Um, you know, I went to a couple of his practices and the entire gym. I've never seen a gym so packed with NBA front offices, uh, front office members, you know, just trying to get a good lip, glimpse at him. But he's one of those guys, he's not one of those show-stopping players like Zion, but um, he's MB- his body is NBA ready. His skill set is definitely NBA ready for the modern big that you want on a team that's versatile that can get out on the perimeter and guard if you want. Um, and you know he's one of those things where he'll do something <laughs> in a game, and you're just like, how the hell did he just do that? Like how is this kid eighteen ninety? Like how does he do that? You know. Um, so I think he is definitely right now, unless something goes. Terribly, terribly wrong this season. He is the consensus number one overall draft pick um, going at number one. And then number two to 22 is a crapshoot. I can Mm -hmm. tell you there's a million guards coming out this next draft class. And, you know, you hear the hype about LaMelo Ball, and it's the hype is real, 100% real. I saw him four or five times at the Drew League. I've been covering and knowing that family since he was a seventh grader um now that he's 6'7 and he's a true 6'7 and he's got the sight like his brother does he's got the passing and the shooting like Lonzo does he doesn't play a lick of defense but none of the NBA executives care about that because they're like no one plays defense in the NBA so (laughs) if he has the (laughs) offensive the offensive sense and and the vision that's what they're focused on um So he is up there too, Anthony Edwards out of Georgia, who had a really good debut last night for Tom Cream's team. He's kind of got the pressure to be like the hometown hero. He's from uh, Georgia. And so what's funny is none of the top one to five players that are projected are blue blood caliber players, um, which I find very interesting about this draft. But this draft by no means is super like, talent heavy it's all question marks um so i'm sorry you guys will probably have have a lottery pick um but there's still there's still some great talent out there for sure
3: let's start with james wiseman um and i jotted down some of the things you said because they all interested me let me start here not show stopping what do you mean
2: i mean he's not one of those guys when he dunks he's not gonna yell He's not a Draymond Green. He's not going to be like, hey, you know, and, and just kind of <laughs> get in your face. He's more of just, he's a great basketball player and he's a quiet kid just by nature, um, but he gets on the court. He has a very high IQ for the game. Um, he's a good teammate because he hasn't caused any drama with anybody. He's just there to play basketball, you know, and it's funny because one of the practices I was at watching him, uh, he rolled his ankle, and the entire gym fell silent. Like, he could have heard a pin drop. So, he, like, limped off. We, we had, all of us thought it was a knee injury, and he limped off, and we're like, oh, my gosh, what happened? So, everybody leaves. I'm hanging out with Mike Miller afterwards, just talking about other kids that or other players that are, you know, maybe going to be in the draft next year. And out comes James, like, walking gingerly with eight slices of pizza. I'm like, oh, he's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I texted every NBA exec I knew. I'm like, James is fine. Like, (laughs) knees fine, ankles fine. He's about to eat eight pieces of pizza. Like, we're all good. It's
1: fine.
3: Knees fine, ankles fine. (laughs) Eating habits need some adjustment. But,
2: I mean, whatever
3: (laughs) leads to him. Give me uh, an NBA comparison. Does anybody in the league currently remind you of who James Wiseman could become?
2: I would say a healthy, young DeAndre Jordan when huh. he first came on the scene. Yeah.
3: Okay. That's so more what, of a defensive with, guy, with, rim protector, that kind of thing?
2: Yeah. And also uh, in the sense where he's got pieces of that, but then he can also step out and knock down the three. Every every NBA big from here on out is going to know that they have to step out and play the perimeter because that's just the nature of the game and the way it's going. So James has put that in his arsenal. He's worked on that, you know. Even though that's not where he belongs, because obviously he's seven foot one, and he's a true center. But if he needs to step out, he can and he will. Um, So we've got that.
3: Lamelo Ball, real prospect, and and to color in the question before we had you on the phone, Marcus and I were disagreeing, and and if I'm being honest, I'm being affected by the big baller brand and his dad and all the other hype and other crap, but it's really hard, and I and I've read the articles, I've seen some of the highlights from the uh, Australian league, but it's hard for me to view this kid as a as a you know legit top three prospect, top five prospect, but for obvious reasons, I defer to you when you look at his game. Is is he a difference maker?
2: Yes, I, it pains me to say it because I know where you're coming from. And when I saw him this past summer at the Drew League, the excuse I gave him was like, well, this is glorified old man AAU basketball. Yep. Like, of course, he's going to dominate yep. the Drew League. Of course. But then when I saw he was going down to Australia, I'm like, oh, no, like, this is legit. And you see, like, I was, I was going down there when Terrence Ferguson was down there and, Ford struggled and, and Brian Bowen, Tugs, who's now at the Pacers, he struggled last year. So I was like, okay, RJ Hampton and Mellow Ball are going to go down there. They're going to have like, you know, maybe 10 points a game. No one's going to pass it. Like it's not going to be a difference maker. And then I started watching Mellow and I was just like, oh my God, like he's actually good. Like to play the caliber he's playing, the team's not good. Let's, let's get that clear. The team is terrible. Like I don't even know what the record is, but it's one in seven. One in seven. Is that
1: true? (laughs) One in seven. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yes. They they are not good. But the glimpses of talent that he displays every night, and the fact that he is not just scoring the score and ignoring his teammates, like he's very hands on with the team. He's very like it looks like he's enjoying being there you know i'm going down there on monday actually to see him and rj play against each other um later in the month of november but um it's just it's one of those things where you don't want to believe that it's true because we haven't seen his path has been so rocky it's been oh i'm gonna get a lamborghini i'm 16 and oh me and my brother who got arrested in china are gonna go play in lithuania no we're not i'm gonna play at pace university oh now i'm going to australia (laughs) No, now I'm gonna come. Like just because he has a different path doesn't mean he deserves to play at the highest level in the NBA. And he's proven that it doesn't matter what path I'm gonna take. I'm talented enough to play with these guys, and I'm gonna show y'all, you know, that I'm ready. And that's what this, he's doing. It's it's
0: unbelievable. This isn't necessarily about X's and O's, but do you worry that that level of volatility um, might transition into the NBA and kind of carry some of the baggage that, you know, we've seen with Lonzo, but potentially even more so.
2: No, I think it's the opposite. I think everybody in that family has seen what Lonzo has gone through in terms of the business decisions. And Lonzo has talked about this on Jay Hart's podcast where he is encouraging Mello and mentoring, like, do not, like our family business is not be all end all take the conversations with Nike, take the conversations with Adidas, do what's best for you because what's best for you is best for our family. And like, we tried the brand and they're still talking about, no, we're going to revamp it. We're going to revamp it. But that doesn't mean that Melo has to be the trailblazer for it. You know what I mean? Enough people around the world. Like I was in Amsterdam two weeks ago and I saw some, some person wearing a big baller brand shirt. And I'm just like, rolling my eyes, like this guy, you know?
3: Was so, that guy homeless? <laughs> Did somebody I, give him the shirt?
2: I, I mean, it may as well have been, I don't know, but it's just one of those things <laughs> where they don't need Lonzo or Melo to promote the business anymore because they've got their Facebook show or whatever it is, they, they get enough press. Thank God Lavar is now kind of thinking in the shadows. Like there has been zero problems, zero issues with him and Illawarra. And in Australia, like he hasn't caused anything. We don't see him in any headlines. It's all about his kid, and that's the way it should have been from the beginning. And so now it's like the third, the third time's a charm, right? Third kid, they're finally getting it, and they're finally understanding it. And he's gonna get rewarded for it. And in a very, uh, I mean, can I a very crappy draft class, he's gonna rise to the top. And that's what's gonna happen.
3: I'm gonna answer a question you didn't ask. Yes, you can say. Sh- as many times as you like, please. We are not a classy show, but uh, to illustrate that, let me ask you this. If you had to bet on it, right? If you had to put some amount of money that meant something to you, mortgage payment, rent payment, something like that, would you bet that the Ball family has figured this out? That LeVar is going to stay out of LaMelo's business and allow him to have a successful career that he won't touch? 50-50. No,
2: I would not. I would, it's still 50-50.
3: Yeah. And which which says because, everything we need to know.
2: <laughs> well, it does and it doesn't, right? Because we won't know until he comes back from Illawarra, which I think he'll probably come back. He won't stay the whole season, right? He'll play R J, probably destroy him, sorry, but and then come back for Christmas and get ready for the draft. And like we'll see in those months leading up to the combine into the draft if Lavar takes the back seat and it's about my son and he's going to do all the talking or if LeVar starts running out, running out, you know what I mean? You just yeah. don't know yet. Then we will know more in January.
4: The plan was always for them to play together. Do you think they will try to get drafted to new Orleans now instead of Los Angeles?
2: No, there's no room for him on new Orleans. Yeah. Like you look at, I mean, there, They just had, they drafted three guys in the first round this past draft class. Like they're not going to, and this is the thing, you're not going to trade precious drafts this year because the next two to three draft classes are going to be quote unquote super drafts where you're going to have potential talent of two uh, lotteries because the one and done is going to go away And so that means the high school talent that was going to be a one and done is going to be available. And so you're going to have a potential draft class that is doubly talented. So all NBA teams are doing are trying to get locked in in the next two to three years. And this draft class is a wash.
3: You basically just punched both Marcus Maxim and High right in the gut, telling us that this—this <laughs> <laughs> this draft has And every sucks. warrior fan, and everyone team. out there, yeah, just <laughs> immediately like exhaled super deeply, uh, like, ah, uh, uh. so, not to say, it, not to say, it. you don't not know. You don't know whether... There's I mean, a lot I of talent
2: in this draft. Are, are, is, are
3: you a hand surgeon? And if you are, do you know whether or not Steph's recent surgery can keep him out for two years? Or is that... <laughs> is it just a three-month <laughs> stretch? Let's, uh, let's focus on the Warriors. Let's focus on this draft specifically. Help us have some optimism, Christian. So let's assume first, uh, for the purpose of this conversation, that the Warriors are historically bad, end up with the number one pick in next year's draft. Is the surefire pick? I mean, you've already answered it. Would it be James Wiseman for them? Yes, okay. hands down. So hands down. Take us and then. Let's venture into the area that is way harder to guess: the two through twenty-two spot, right? So let's assume the Warriors <laughs> are terrible, but the balls don't bounce the way they want to. Wiseman's off the board. They've got the second pick. Who's the next guy? If if you were Bob Myers, that the Warriors should consider.
2: Anthony Edwards.
3: And tell me about him. Why
2: I man
3: and tell me that he's guys. hell of good and lie to me if you need to, because I, I need to have some no. optimism going into the year here.
2: Let me tell you something. All right. As someone who covers a lot of grassroots basketball, it's a lot of hours in the gym, right? So it's one of those things where you're up till two in the morning, either writing or cutting video and you're like, Oh man, can I really skip this 8am or 9am game? Like who's playing? And you're looking at the schedule And if I'm up till 2 in the morning and I look at the schedule and I see Anthony Edwards is playing at 8 in the morning, I get up every time he plays at 8 in the morning. That's how much, like, this this kid has been one of the most exciting players I've ever covered at the grassroots level. He killed and destroyed Cole Anthony during the McDonald's All-American practice. Like, they were doing this drill, king of the court. And I want to say Ant hit him with, Step back three after step back three, almost to the point where he was taunting him. Like, you can't guard this. Like, I'm bigger than you, my release is better, I got a better shot. And even when he stepped back and like Cole knew he was going for it, he would still hit it. He never faked it and went around. Like, this kid exudes the modern day point guard. Like I know you guys have a ton of guards and that's the problem. but or that's that's that. But when I'm saying you look at the injuries That you've had. Like, if you had Aunt Edwards coming in, like, he would be, he wouldn't be, obviously, you need a couple years before you're that guy, but he's got it. He's got the pedigree, he's got the height. I, I love that kid. I
4: was reading your, I was reading your article, um, College Basketball Primer, (laughs) which freshmen will fill the Zion sized hole this season. Um, I think it's a good read for Warriors fans because it, you lay out all of the, the top freshmen and all the top players and one person stood out to me and I saw the highlights I didn't see the whole game but um Scotty Lewis from Florida stood out and him Man. being a, a you know like a combo guard even a little bit bigger like small forward size I just felt like his game would translate really well to the next level um would you pick him you would still pick Anthony Edwards over Scotty Lewis?
2: Yeah, if you have the number two draft pick, you're not going to pick Scotty Lewis. There's no way. Like he's still, in terms of size, he's on the skinny side. Um, his his shot is less consistent than Aunt Edwards. I mean, I think Scotty's more of like the six to twelve range, depending on how he does at Florida. But with Scotty, you're getting super athletic kid. Uh, I mean, hello, he did a windmill dunk over three people. Like that's ridiculous. And one of them was Jeremiahson Robinson Earl, who's at Vill- Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who's at Villanova. He's a seven-footer. Like what in the world? You know, so super athletic, uh, a really great teammate. He plays defense so tough. But just like I told you, NBA execs are like nobody plays defense, so they're not really looking at that. <laughs> but I appreciate a kid that tries on defense, and he is—he will be by far, if not the best, one of the best defenders this college basketball season. Um, off the court, um, he does, he already does charity work, uh, which is incredible. Um, he does like a charity basketball tournament every year in his hometown to raise money for the boys and girls club. So he realizes that the platform that he has is more than basketball, which I really respect. And some NBA execs are like, well, that's, that's like a front. And I'm like, you meet the kid, you know, it's not a front, like, come on. Um, and another fun fact, he's one of 11 kids and that to me, like any, any kid that can survive and thrive in a household of 11 or 13, sorry, is just like, come on, standing applause, like, <laughs> <Steven Adam laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs>
3: If we're if we are handing out standing applause, I'd like to hand out a standing applause to you for your amazing impersonation of an NBA exec. Nobody plays defense. I thought (laughs) honestly, in fact, I'm just gonna go ahead and give you there you go. That's our version of standing applause. That's for you. And it is fantastic. Um, Christian, let me ask you another oversimplified question. So one of the things we are going to be doing as warrior fans throughout the year is watching win totals. And where does that land us? Right? What pick are we favored to get? You know, we're going to have to make our way through the actual lottery bouncing balls, but your perspective, what pick do the warriors need to get? Are we talking top one, top three, top five? What, how high do they need to land to get an actual difference maker in this draft?
2: I would say either one or five
3: to eight. Okay. And why? Well, give me five through yeah. eight. Who's who's there?
2: Five through eight is just, it's a toss up. But you got to, no one will know until the season starts. But when you look at someone like Nico Manning from Arizona, who's kind of in that, you know, early to mid lottery range and born in Italy, playing at Arizona, he's a point guard. He's got bright red hair. You look at him and you're like, he can't play, you know. But then you start watching him play. He was the co MVP at the Hoop Summit, Nike Hoop Summit, for um, the world team. And let me tell you something. The, the I can tell you the exact time that I was a believer in Nico Manon. Like he's playing his junior year in high school. It was e or the second session of you know AAU basketball, and there's six seconds left in the half, and he's got some kid on him, crosses him over, step back three. Bang, okay. Three seconds left. Instead of just being like, "Yeah, we're up by 20." No, he rushes the baseline, reads the the other defender, steals the ball, turn around, fade away three with a guy in his face. Six points in six seconds, and I'm just like, that I amazing, you know. And that that is the time that I became a believer of Nico Manon and he is going to be something special in the NBA. I think because of the way he looks. He's going to be marketable, and people are going to want to watch him play because he's very fun to watch. He hits these crazy shots where you just think no one that looks like him is ever going to be able to hit those shots. Um, so he's going to be one of those that people want to see play, and he plays hard. and He's a great, great point guard.
3: Use your scouting skills in the NBA. You've watched the Warriors. I'm not sure if you've watched their current roster, but you you know you know enough about this team. Are they a player away? If if we bring Steph back, we bring Clay back. Draymond remains healthy. Paschel is a real player, you know. And then they add someone either in the five to eight range, or let's say James Wiseman. Do you think that that puts them right back into championship contention?
2: I can't see it with this draft class. Maybe maybe with James. Maybe with James, and then maybe with one other player who I think is going to be a phenomenal NBA player as a, as a big, very cat-like. Um, and that's Isaiah Stewart. He's up at Washington. So thankfully for us on the west coast, we'll be able to see him play. But nobody, no big in the Pac-12 is going to be able to stay or is going to be able to stop this kid, Isaiah Isaiah Stewart. Did I say Isaiah Washington? Uh, Isaiah Stewart. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I, it just depends on like what what they're looking for. Like, what you as Warrior fans, like where you think the missing piece is.
3: Yeah. I mean, the, the, an athletic big speaks to me a lot. What I would love to have heard is there some small forward out there who can fill it up and play defense. I mean, that, that's the position that yeah. we're, we're kind of hurting at. Um, I mean, if I'm being totally transparent with you, Christian, what I'd like to hear is not that two years from now is the big draft and this draft sucks. <laughs> you know I mean? Like I was all fired up to have you on and now like I'm sobbing halfway through because I thought that we were like speeding towards this unbelievable player. Um, and so I mean, and, and this is repetitious, but I want to make sure I'm following the bouncing ball. Really, 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 if I want this year to be the reason that the Warriors are the Warriors with a capital W again, we need a number one overall pick.
2: Yeah, or you need to hope that someone like Trenton Wadsworth from LSU has a crazy good right. year. Because if you want someone who's a big, small forward and can step out on the perimeter but also bang down low, what you, what you're talking about that you need... Um, he last year, he had 40 plus points. He beat a undefeated, very, very skilled IMG Academy, um, by himself. Like he had 46 <laughs> points, totally went crazy. Um, and I was just talking to him about, I just, to a couple of these scouts, scouts today, they're like, we're going to go down to LSU and look at him. And I said, well, it'll be interesting to see how he fits in Will Wade, you know, system. Because I think Raw, he is a phenomenal player, and I think his NBA game will translate better than his college game. Hmm. So, to see if he moves up, someone like Trendan Watford moves up the ranks, you know, and gets into that like mid lottery draft range. Because you guys aren't going to tank the entire season; like you're going to be okay. Like I, I don't see you getting the one, two, three pick. Like I, I have faith in the Warriors. Like you guys are going to be okay. Yeah. So. You can I, stay in that like nope. four, yep.
3: four. number one pick <laughs> well I have, I have faith in the Warriors too Christian I have faith in them winning about 22 games and probably getting the one pick and before when you said that it reminded you of DeAndre Jordan did you actually mean that James Wiseman reminded you of a young Wilt Chamberlain slash Shaq or because I need some optimism here yes. this, Yeah. okay that's what I thought that's exactly what I thought you meant and thank God we ended it with this clarifying question I've uh, yes. I've, I've got <laughs> a couple of, of loaded questions for you. File these into the category of things that I've been waiting to ask you for months. Um, so let's start with uh, the caveat of keep all names out to uh, protect the guilty, right? But here's my first question for you. What is the worst thing you've seen a parent do trying to secure a D1 scholarship for their kid?
2: I've seen a a mother, <laughs> of a player get on a party bus with a rapper and a few assistant coaches to party to try to secure a scholarship for her son. (laughs) That was a bad one.
3: What do you mean to party? Another one. I I probably shouldn't ask that follow up, (laughs) but you mean just try to gain their favor? I mean, what was going on there?
2: I didn't get on the bus, I don't know, but. (laughs) what I saw in the way that party bus was going, I was like, <laughs> all right. You know, you do you, ma'am. You do you. Like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> like um, and then most recently I <laughs> I was talking to a father and his son had just gone on a visit and he's talking to me like how proud he is of his son and that this other reporter was gonna be interviewing him after the visit, and then he hits me with, just think, my son is gonna be interviewed by a man who interviewed Barack Obama. Just think of that for a second. And I'm like, and I was just standing there like, yeah, right, like, uh, what? (laughs) He was very, he was he was very very excited about it and it you could tell that he didn't mean he didn't want to go on the visit to check out the campus it was go on the visit make a news headline and then be interviewed by someone who interviewed the former president yeah <laughs> take me uh,
3: to the other side of the coin right so if parents are doing crazy crap i'm sure coaches are too What's one of the worst things you've either heard or seen or found out about that a coach did to land a blue-chip recruit?
2: Man, I had a kid tell me, because I asked this this question a lot on the side because I think it's hilarious. Um, But I said, what's the most awkward thing a coach has ever done during the the recruitment process? And (laughs) this kid, five-star, very talented player, he said, I once had a coach FaceTime me while he's in bed wearing his wife's ear like cuddling his wife what? and what? he just faces
4: <laughs> to show him what? like yeah. his commitment to his marriage? Was, was, what was, was this laying here thinking about you?
3: Yeah, what's the upside? <laughs>
1: what the <laughs> hell
3: is the upside on that? Yeah. and then he, he shot him another FaceTime video when he was on a party bus with a bunch of rappers just to show him how much he loved him <laughs>
2: It's a, I, I don't know if it was more just like kids these days, you know, these young players, the way they communicate. It's happened to me before. It's like, okay, I'm gonna call you for an interview because when you call for an interview, you put headphones in, you're typing, typing, typing. So I call, they don't answer, and then they FaceTime back. And I'm like, hello? And they're like, what up? And I'm like, why are you FaceTiming me? Like, I gotta <laughs> type. Like, you're gonna be staring at the ceiling. Like, I don't <laughs> understand. Hang up and call me back so i don't know if it's that like they're so used to FaceTiming and this guy just wanted to call him and say good night or whatever but his wife <laughs> was with him i don't know it was... I, I can tell <laughs> I you didn't, i didn't ask i didn't ask a follow-up question after that i was just like Okay. Was the
4: wife beater by the same company that President Barack Obama used to wear wife beaters? Of? Obviously, Marcus. <laughs> I
3: no.
4: Obviously, man, and that's a ridiculous oh, question. Oh.
3: Yeah, It actually had a picture of Barack's face right on the wife beater. Undoubtedly. I'll also say, just as a random aside, the only thing that annoys me more than somebody calling me late at night is somebody FaceTiming me late at night. Like, why do we need to see each other in any capacity right now? That does not make any sense whatsoever.
2: Yeah, I don't...
3: I don't know. Christian, we appreciate you. I I mean, real deal. Um, This is an interesting setting for Warriors fans. Yeah, The the knowledge that this isn't the most talented draft class on earth is a little bit upsetting, but we got to know that. And now we know we got to hope for the one pick or the five through eight. It is what it is. And I'm also sure that I'm not the only person who loves hearing your takes. Um, And with that in mind, for those out there, who need more Kristen Peak in their life, where should they turn? Where can we find
2: you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at KP underscore rivals, or I'm writing regularly for Yahoo Sports, College Basketball, and also Rivals.com. And, listen, I just checked the box, box score of North Carolina's first game, and Cole Anthony, son of Greg Anthony, projected top five pick, had 34 points in the game opener. So, Another player please keep your eye on him. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm I'm trying to build it up just a little bit at the end. Like, <laughs> Too no, late, Kristen.
3: Gonna... Too everything... late. <laughs> Every,
2: Everything's okay. It was against Notre Dame. Uh, they suck. Don't worry uh, about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm like... <laughs> mean, i I'm pretty
3: sure the go-to line was, hey, yeah, yeah, this draft sucks. Exactly. But in a couple of years, it's going to be unbelievable. <laughs> so sit back and wait for that uh, for us. You guys, you know where the hell to reach us. Uh, if you are unimpressed with my college basketball knowledge or would like to let me know that all of my warrior takes were off, that you loved Maxine, that you hated Marcus anything you can shoot those takes to at Warriors little is our Twitter account where settle at gmail.com is our email account we are also on Patreon uh, where we appreciate your support more than we can possibly tell you with that in mind go Warriors and hopefully we we'll see you next week
1: Good, good.